Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We have the opportunity to draw near to God and have him speak to us through his word. Uh, so we're going to continue our journey through Romans, Romans chapter 12. We're going to, Sam's going to be bringing us from verses 3 to 8. I'm just going to read from verse 1 just to pick up that context where we left off last week. If you don't have your Bible there, it'll be on the screen. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encourage, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Uh, good morning, Southside. Uh, my name is Sam, and it's my privilege to be opening this part of God's Word with you this morning. Uh, so why don't, we, why don't we come before our God, let's pray together that he might help us to understand these things. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you that through your Word you speak to us and you reveal to us who you are and who you want us to be. So we pray that this morning, Lord God, that you would speak and that we would listen. Help us to trust that these words are true and relevant to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever had that experience where you just don't fit in? When I was at school, I remember having one of those uh, free dress days. You know those days when the teachers uh, let the students just wear normal clothes instead of the uh, usual school uniform? And often you're asked sometimes to, to bring a gold coin donation along because the day's in, some, in, in support of some charity. I loved those days. Well, I remember rocking up to school on one of those days, dressed casually as you do, red shirt, pair of jeans, gold coin in my hand. And the reason I rem- remember that particular day so clearly was because I'd actually done it a week earlier than everybody else. Yeah, I'd gotten the date wrong. And so before the whole school, there I was wearing my casual clothes while everyone else is dressed neatly and harmoniously in their school uniform. 
And I'll tell you, it, it's very hard to be inconspicuous in a sea of, of yellow and blue uniforms when you're wearing a red shirt and a pair of jeans. I was so out of place. And all day, people wanted to know why I wasn't wearing my uniform. And every time I'd explain, it was always followed with laughter. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. It was crushing. Crushing. Not fitting in at school that day hurt. I still remember it. And you know that I was the butt of everyone's jokes for the next few weeks. Not fitting in or not knowing where we fit in can be really crushing, can't it? When we're part of something, we all want to know where we fit in, don't we? None of us want to be that person who, who stands out for the wrong reasons, do we? When we're part of something, we want to know where we fit in. So, so where do you fit in when it comes to church? Where do you fit in this thing we call church? Now we've read a lot through Romans so far about how the church is made up of different people. See, in Paul's context, there was, there was Jewish Christians coming together with, with non-Jewish Christians. So, of course, they're all asking the question, where do I fit into this church? The Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians, they're all coming from different contexts, from different cultures, from different families, from different traditions. And now they're expected to do church together, to come together as one community of people with one faith in common. So where do they each fit into the church? And today we can ask the same question, can't we? Because in our context today, in, in church, we've, we've got people who have grown up knowing Jesus their whole life, been part of the church their whole life, and we've got people who've come into God's family later in life, into the church later in life. We're all coming from different contexts, from different cultures, from different families, and from different traditions. And all of those things shape us as individuals, don't they? None of us here this morning have the same story. So where do we fit into this church? Where do you fit into this church? And, and see, Paul preempts our question here in Romans 12. He, he knows this is the question that people are asking after reading uh, Romans 1 through to 11. So he gives us an answer. What's his answer? Where do you fit into this church? Well, well there's three parts to Paul's answer this morning. And the first is that, is that Paul wants us to get that in the church, your place, it's not higher or better than anyone else. You're not higher or better than anyone else. Have a look at what he says in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You're not higher or better than anyone else. Now, why does Paul say this? Why is Paul telling us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought? Well, it's because he's reminding us of, of how we got here, how we actually got here. He's reminding us of how we actually became part of the church. And how was that again? Well, it, it wasn't through anything we did, was it? No. So you didn't do anything to save yourself. You didn't do anything to earn God's favour and become part of his family, part of his church. You couldn't do anything. 
to earn his favour. Because all you and I are good at is sinning, ignoring God, disobeying God, rejecting God. We can't do anything to earn God's favour because we're all sinners. Remember Paul's words in, in Romans chapter 3? 3.23. We have all sinned and lack the glory of God. See, the only thing that sinners can earn for themselves is death. Remember Paul's words in, in chapter 6. 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Our sin doesn't earn favour with God. No, our sin separates us from God forever. And there's nothing we can do to save ourselves from it. There's, there's no amount of good we can try and do. There, there's no good works that we can, we can make up for the damage that we've already caused because of our sin. And every day we just add to our sin pile, don't we? We're buried in sin. We're lost in sin. We are dead in sin. We've got no way of saving ourselves, no way of earning God's favour and becoming part of His family, part of His church. So how did we get here? How did we get here? How does anyone become part of His church? Well, what Paul's been reminding us of chapter after chapter after chapter of Romans is that while we were desperately lost and as good as dead in our sin, God has come to us in Jesus. He has come to us in Jesus to offer us forgiveness and make a way for us to live in relationship with Him forever. Jesus' death pays for our sin. And His resurrection from the dead guarantees that death isn't the end for us anymore. And when we put our trust in Jesus, when we believe that He died to pay for our sins and rose back to life, our lives are joined to His joined to his so god no longer looks at us as sinners as those who've ignored him and disobeyed him and rejected him no god now looks at us as his children as his children you've been saved completely by the work of jesus god's son so we don't become part of god's family part of his church by anything that we do now, it's only because God's merciful and willing to move toward us and forgive us and change us that we've become part of this church. And that's why Paul says here in Romans 12, verse 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Because you're not higher or better than anyone else in the church. Because like everyone else, you're only here because God did all the work. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But, as Paul continues, think of yourself with sober judgment, according to the faith God's distributed to you. When you're reminded that you're a child of God by grace, by what God's done, not by what you've done, this helps you think about where you and others fit into the church and it's so easy to forget that sometimes isn't it 
So often we think of ourselves as better than others, don't we? And that's why Paul calls us here to have sober judgment. Because that kind of thinking, that, that way of living, that's, that's what our world is about, isn't it? That's the culture we're surrounded by. We hear this, I'm better than you attitude all the time in our jobs, at our schools, among our friends, at mum's group, in our sports teams, and for some of us, even in our families. Our culture is consistently about trying to outdo one another, isn't it? It's constantly about one-upmanship. And because this attitude is so ingrained in our culture, this kind of thinking subtly slips in to our approach to church, doesn't it? We quietly judge people here for the way they parent their kids, for how they dress, for what suburb they live in, for what career choice they've made. And even for what version of the Bible they're reading. And then, because you know, because our hearts are so damaged by our sin, and we, we're naturally selfish, individualistic creatures, we start to compile these subtle judgments and we convince ourselves that certain people, certain personalities, are somehow now less than ourselves. Like we've got it all together, but they don't. And so we start to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We're all guilty of doing this, aren't we? You know what? It's not just a 21st century Australian culture that has this issue. It's something that, that humans have struggled with for a long time, since we were created. Because in the Garden of Eden, when, when God confronts Adam about eating the forbidden fruit, do you know what Adam does? He doesn't admit to his sin. No, instead he starts pointing fingers at Eve and at God. It was because of that woman who you put here with me that I ate the fruit. Adam judges others for their actions because he thinks of himself more highly than he ought. Adam doesn't think of himself with sober judgment. Just like we often forget to think of ourselves with sober judgment when we, when we think less of others in our church. You're not here because you earned your place. You're not part of church because you're God's best choice. You're not part of this family because you deserve that honour. No, you and I can only call each other family. And we can only call God our Father. We can only call Jesus our brother because God is merciful, because God is gracious. Because God made a merciful and gracious and loving decision to save you and adopt you and bring you into His church and make you part of His family forever. So where do you fit into church? Well, knowing where you fit starts by remembering how you got here. By not thinking of yourself as higher or better than anyone else. So that's the first part of Paul's answer. Then Paul answers our question, well, where do I fit in? By, by reminding us that we're, we're actually valuable, we're a valuable part of the body. You're a valuable part of the body. Check out what he says in verses 4 and 5. 
For just as each of us have one body with many members, and, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. See, to get us thinking about where we fit into church, Paul uses this example of the human body to illustrate what the church is like and to illustrate where we actually fit. Think about your body. It's made up of all kinds of parts, isn't it? Arms and legs, hands and feet, heads and shoulders, knees and toes, eyes and ears and mouth and nose. Lots of moving parts, aren't there? And each of these parts, or, or members as Paul calls them, have their own function, don't they? So your eyes, for example, have a very different purpose than your toes. Bet you didn't know that. But both of them are important, aren't they? But for very different reasons. Your elbows have a very different function than your ears. Both are important, but for different reasons. Our bodies are made up of many different parts. See, Paul's picture of the human body, it's meant to remind us of what the church is like. That just like the human body is only one body, the church is only one body. We come together in unity, don't we? Because we share in a common faith in Jesus and what he has done. But even though the human body is only one body, it has many individual parts that are tremendously diverse. And so it's the same with the church. Because the church is made up of us, tremendously diverse people. People who have come from different contexts, different cultures, different families, different traditions. It's a helpful il illustration. But when we talk about the church like this, this unity in, in diversity or, or one body made up of many people, it's easy for us to feel a bit lost in the crowd, doesn't it? To feel as though there's, there's, there's so much diversity that your role actually feels pretty insignificant. Do you ever feel like that? Well, Paul's illustration of the body here can help us with that too. Because think about it. You might be an arm and the person next to you this morning might be a toe. Lucky them. But you're both part of the same body, aren't you? And just as an arm can't function if it's not attached to a body, so also the body is incomplete without the arm. Have you ever lost a toenail? I don't mean like the tip of the toenail. I mean the whole toenail. Have you ever lost a whole toenail? It's incredibly uncomfortable, isn't it? Not having that one toenail completely affects the way that you walk. It hurts. It's excruciating. It impacts on the function of your whole body. You can't stop thinking about it. Do you see the point that Paul's making here? If you're feeling lost in the crowd at church or feeling like your place in God's church is insignificant, think again. You're a valuable part of the body. And the reason I can say that with such confidence is because Paul drills into that same point in the following verses. He says that you fit in here because you're not just a valuable part of the body, because you're actually a valuable part of this church. You're a valuable part of this church. Listen to what Paul says in verses 6 to 8. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You're a valuable part of this church. Because God's given you a valuable role to play here. So about 10 years ago, I was part of a short film project with some mates from uni, and this movie told the story of a young man who lived in France in the 1920s, who worked in a cinema in the projection room. The movie was called The Projectionist. You can't find it anywhere. <laughs> now, we, we shot this film here in Australia only a few years ago, so to, in order to create the illusion for audiences that the film was actually set in France in the 1920s, and since we had a very small budget, we needed a whole crew of talented people to help us out. We needed a usual f film crew, a, a writer, a director, camera operator, editor, someone to do the lighting. We also needed actors who could speak French and a composer who could create music that sounded French. We needed someone who could create the, the right setting, someone to, to put together costumes and props and find locations for us to shoot the movie so that it all felt authentic. It's fair to say that a lot of effort was needed to make this short film happen. A, a lot of people, each with different gifts, different talents, were needed to come together to bring this one story to life. Now, that story would have lost its authenticity, wouldn't it, if, if even just one of the crew didn't know what they were doing. If the composer just used a soundtrack from Justin Bieber's latest album, or if, if the editor just put the scenes together in a random order, or if the cameraman forgot to take the lens cap off the camera, <laughs> the whole project would have just fallen apart and, and the story wouldn't have made any sense. It would have lost its authenticity if just one person didn't play their role in the production of the movie, it would have impacted everyone involved. And this is a, is, it's a bit like how the church, the family of God, have been put together. We each have a role to play and we each are called to play our part. The difference, of course, is that none of us were chosen to be part of the church because of our gifts or our talents. You're not here because you earned your place. You're not part of this church because you're God's best choice. You're not part of this family because you're the best at what you do. This isn't a movie set. You're not employed for your talents, no. Look again at what Paul says in verse 6. We, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Paul's saying that even your gifts are given to you by God as an act of His grace. God actually has given each of us, which, which means none of us here are lacking, He's given each of us different gifts according to His grace. But what are our God-given gifts for? Well, the list of gifts that Paul gives us here are all things that keep us together as a church and strengthen this community. And so what are the gifts? Well, the first three gifts Paul lists in verse 6 and 7 are prophesying, 
serving and teaching. And to understand the context of, of those three words, it's helpful if we think back to, to Old Testament Israel for a moment. See, prophets were people who spoke to God's people on God's behalf to reveal God's will for His people. A God-given gift, making it possible for people to connect with God. Teachers were people who had spent a lot of time reading and understanding Scripture so they could teach Scripture, truths about God, to God's people. A God-given gift, making it possible for people to connect with God. And this word here for serve, well, it's the same word that we use when we talk about those who served God at the temple in Jerusalem. So these servers or ministers were people who'd offer sacrifices to God on behalf of God's people. A God-given gift, making it possible for people to connect with God. Now, Paul's not writing to Old Testament Israelites. He's writing to New Testament Christians. But this kind of language would have been familiar to his original audience. But how do these three gifts strengthen our community here? Well, each of these gifts make it possible for people to connect with God. Through prophets, teachers and ministers, the church is regularly reminded of who God is and what He's done. And that's really important. If we're supposed to be one body, a united community, a united family. So for people in our church who have these gifts, they're a valuable part of this church. Our church needs their gifts so that we might continue to be strengthened and reminded of who our God is and what He's done for us. Okay, so what about the gifts mentioned in verse 8? What are they about? Verse 8, Paul says, If your gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. These are all wonderful, wonderful and valuable gifts for our church too. If your gift is to encourage, give encouragement. Don't hold back. If it's giving, giving money, give generously. Don't hold back. If it's leading, lead with diligence. Don't be lazy. Give it your all. And if it's to show mercy, don't hold back, but do it cheerfully. So for people in our church who have these gifts, well, Paul's saying you're a valuable part of this church. Our church needs your gifts so that we might continue to be strengthened together. It's really cool, isn't it? That not only does God, by His grace, bring the church together, but by His grace, He keeps the church together. All these gifts bring us together. They strengthen our community. And that's why they've been given to us, and not just to some of us, but to each of us. And what does that mean? Well, it means that there's no such thing as a passive member of church. What do I mean? Well, it's so easy sometimes to become just a consumer of church, isn't it? 
That's the culture we're surrounded by out there, and so it's so easy to let that kind of thinking slip in here too. But what we're seeing here, what we're being called to here, is not to be passive, not to just be a consumer of church, but to be active members, to be contributors of church. We've each been given gifts, and we're called to use those gifts. And we're each called to use our gifts because all these things are needed for the church. And notice how God hasn't given all these gifts just to one person. He's given each of us a part to play, a role in His church. We're all a valuable part of this church. We need each other. We need each other. So this then kind of leaves us with two questions as we finish. Number one, what is your God-given gift? Is it to teach? Is it to encourage? Is it to lead? What's your God-given gift? And if you're not sure what it is, pray about it. These are God-given gifts. Pray about it. Pray to God and seek Him in faith and ask Him to make it known to you. He has a role for you, a place for you in this church. Pray to Him and ask. And so our second question is, are you actually using the gift that God's given you? Are you, are you using it in a way that strengthens the church? So once you've found your gift, once God's made it known to you, embrace it with faith. Work at it with all the strength that God gives you. Because remember, you have an active role to play in this church, to play here. And your part is valuable to this church. Your part is valuable to this church. If you're a single mum and your trust is in Jesus, you're a valuable part of this church. If you're a teenager and your trust is in Jesus, you're a valuable part of this church. If you're a widow and your trust is in Jesus, you're a valuable part of this church. If you're retired, if you're divorced, if you're a stay-at-home dad, if you're same-sex attracted, if you're newly married, if you're a refugee, if you're a student, if you're a tradie, if your trust's in Jesus, you're a valuable, valuable part of this church and a valuable member of Jesus' body. So no matter who you are, you have a role to play. No matter where you've come from, God's given you a place to fit in to his church. And you've been given that place because Jesus, our King, gave up His place. He left His throne in heaven. He came to earth to find you when you were lost in your sin and to swap places with you in death so that He could win for you your place in God's church, your place in His forever family. What an amazing truth to praise God for. Let's pray together.
Our Father in heaven, thank you that we can call on you as Father and, and that you would call us children because of what Jesus has done for us. Thank you that Jesus left his place, left his throne in heaven to come and to seek us when we were lost in our sin, dead in our sin. Thank you that he would, he would swap places with us in death so that he could win for us a place in your church. Thank you that you've given each of us who trust in Jesus not only a place in your church, but you have made us valuable members of this church and you have given each of us gifts that we might use these gifts to, to strengthen our community here. Thank you, Lord God, for the way that you are working through your church. And it is to your joy and to our joy and to your glory forever and ever. Help us to use our gifts for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.